is that every person would know Jesus. Is that your burden tonight? Not just to know about him, but to know him. And to really understand why Christians all across the world today are commemorating and remembering Good Friday. Christianity today has a piece entitled The Goodness of Good Friday. The church certainly has always understood that Good Friday was anything but happy. It has typically been a day for sadness and mourning, deep reflection, fasting and praying. As a matter of fact, Christians have been doing that since the church began in the book of Acts. If you go back to the fourth century, there's actually a church manual, if you will, called the Apostolic Constitutions. And in it, it very clearly says that Good Friday is set aside as a day of mourning, not a day of festive joy. In Jerusalem today, many men and women, boys and girls, young people, walk the 14 stations, known the 14 stations of the cross, the walk down the Via Dolorosa all the way to Golgotha, the place of the skull. I've had the opportunity now to make that walk three times. And what a reflective, powerful, overwhelming walk that is. To think about what Jesus did for us on this day. In spite of traditionally being a day of deep, somber reflection, Good Friday really is a good day. It's a good kind of sorrow. It's a godly sorrow. It's a sorrow that reflects on redemption. We reflect on our salvation because it's the culmination of the life of Christ from the moment he was born there in Bethlehem and all of the the works and the miracles and the teachings that he did always pointing toward the completion of the work that the Father sent him to do. And all of that work now comes together on this day. Now, there might be someone in the room that would disagree over which day of the week Jesus was crucified. Trust me, that's been debated in seminaries for years. Some say he was crucified on Wednesday and others say he was crucified on Friday And I want you to know I do not care about getting tangled up in that discussion tonight. What I know is that Jesus died. He died on an old, rugged cross. In just a moment, to commemorate the death of our Lord and Savior, we're going to take communion together. We practice open communion here at our church which means if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, we joyfully and warmly welcome you to gather with us at the foot of the cross. Before we distribute the elements, I want to take just a minute and kind of finish up a series I've been doing here at The Point over the last few weeks on the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. We have meticulously studied each one of those, at least the first five, 
If you've not been here for those, you can uh, listen to those online, uh, either through a video or through a podcast to catch up on uh, the seven sayings that I would add have really spoken to me in a new and a profound way about what our Lord and Savior actually says from the cross. I'm going to hasten very quickly tonight to just briefly mention the last two things that Jesus says just before he dies. Before the darkness hit the earth, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. A prayer of forgiveness. He then turned to the thief that was hanging beside him on the cross who asked him to remember him wherever he was going into his kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He acknowledges his mother and enlists John the Apostle to take care of his mother at the time of his death by saying, Woman, behold thy son, behold thy mother. During the darkness, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then after the darkness, last Sunday, we looked at Jesus saying, I thirst. The last two that we look at tonight on this Good Friday will help us to end on a good note. We'll get us ready. We'll get our hearts prepared as we look towards Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. But first things first, let's hear the last words uttered from our Lord and Savior on the cross. He says, it is finished. And then he says, Father, into your hands... I commend my spirit. The hour has now come. The fulfillment of God's plan and his purposes for the ages, his redemptive plan is imminent. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And as much as those fourth and fifth words that we studied were so painful in him being abandoned by the Father and him, him thirsting in his body and in his soul, I have good news for you tonight. The last two are triumphant and they are victorious. Jesus is not a helpless martyr hanging on the cross. He has reached the apex of his sufferings. And he now declares himself to be the redeemer of the world. The one that John said, here he comes. Behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Now Jesus says, I am the Lamb. I am the Redeemer of mankind. As you read through your Bible and read through the crucifixion narrative, there is prophecy after prophecy, prediction after prediction, not only about the coming of the Messiah, but about what the Messiah would accomplish. And we see that accomplishment. In John chapter 19 and verse number 30, when after Jesus has received the sour wine, he says, say it with me on the screen, it, is say it like you mean it, it, it is finished. When Jesus prayed in John 17, he prayed, I want to finish the work the Father has sent me to do. And the good news that we have tonight 
is that the work of redemption, the work of salvation is now done. It has been completed by Jesus on the cross. The word here in the original language, you'll hear it a lot during these days, tetelestai, it is finished. The Greeks had a way of just kind of getting to the point. Uh, They were kind of blunt, if you will, all right? And so in the original language, tetelestai is not three words, it's actually one word. That means done, completed, it's over. The beginning of that word, teleo, means that a task has been carried out to its completion. In a religious sense, it means that all the obligations have been fulfilled. In John 17, Jesus told the Father, I want to bring you glory by completing the task, finishing the work. And as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he says, it is accomplished. Please hear me tonight. This is not a cry of defeat. It is not a cry of despair from a helpless man. This is the Messiah, the God-man, the begotten Son of God, who came to this earth to pay the price for man's redemption. This is the moment that was required by God because of his justice and his holiness required by the law where man's redemption must be paid for. And in this moment, Jesus' suffering comes to an end. God's holiness and his justice are satisfied. And let me say, never again would Jesus have to die. Never again Would anyone have to suffer in this way ever again? I'm glad to tell you tonight it's over. Man's redemption is complete. Look on the screen at Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once. Will you say that with me? How many times? He's appeared once, once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Can you see it tonight? Is it clear? There are not many ways to heaven. There are not many ways to be forgiven of your sin. You can't inflict enough pain. There are literally people around the world during this season that will nail themselves to the cross and take lashes in their own body some kind of way to show before God that they're serious about their sin. And I say with compassion and love tonight, that is unnecessary and it is unfruitful. The reason is because Jesus took all of that in his body on the tree. It is finished. 
What is the it in those three words? Sin is defeated. The penalty and the bondage of sin is now broken. And I'm so glad tonight to say in my own life, because when I was 13 years old and I understood what the gospel really was, that sin no longer has a hold on me. Not because I'm good or righteous or perfect, but I've been set free by God's amazing grace. Tetelestai. It is finished. And then John records in that 19th chapter that after Jesus says it is finished, John just records, he bows his head, he delivers his spirit to the Father. We have to jump over to Luke chapter 23 to actually get the quote from Jesus' lips, the very last thing he says before he dies. Luke 23, 46. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, I've read that verse many, many times, but it's kind of gripped me in a new way in these recent days. And I want you to think about this in your mind. When you think about Jesus and his life and the crucifixion narrative, think about how he was repeatedly delivered. He was repeatedly handed over by men. In the Garden of Gethsemane, what happened as he's finishing up his prayer time? Who arrives? The betrayer, Judas. And he kisses Jesus on the cheek and does what? He delivers him over into the hands of the religious posse. They take Jesus and they hand Jesus over. They deliver him to Annas and Caiaphas. Jesus is eventually delivered or handed over to Pontius Pilate. Man, did Pontius Pilate have a struggle in his soul over what to do with Jesus. Remember he said, Matthew 27, what then shall I do with Jesus? And eventually he caved into the pressure and he delivered him over to the crowd who was crying, crucify him, crucify him. They delivered Jesus into the hands of the soldiers to carry his own cross down the Via Dolorosa all the way to Golgotha, the place of the skull. But please hear me tonight. This moment is different because Jesus delivers his own spirit back to the Father. What's the significance of that, Tim? It's very significant. It's something that, that we all need to hear, we all need to be reminded of, and we all need to fully understand. There was never a moment in the crucifixion narrative where Jesus was not in complete control. He always had complete authority. Yep, he could have zapped him with a lightning bolt if he had wanted to. Yep, he could have got some of that millions of gallons of water up under the cross. 
He could have struck them all down, but he didn't. You know why? Because he had to complete the work for you. He had to finish the task. And in this moment, the task is finished. And now Jesus delivers his own spirit to the Father. Would you allow me for just a second to take it just a step further and let you read and hear the words of our Lord and Savior from John chapter 17? This is so good. Jesus said, for this reason, the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Please, tonight, do you fully understand that Jesus laid down his life for you willingly? He was not a martyr. He was not helpless. He wasn't defeated. He laid down his life knowing full well that in three days he was going to take it up again. Can I get a witness tonight? It's okay if we get a little resurrection spirit before Sunday. He said, I'm, I'm going to take it up again. I'm in complete control. I have all authority. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lays down his life for his friends. Can I ask you tonight, have you received his love? Have you received his love? I, I, I'm not asking you, I'm not asking you if you're a church member. I'm not asking if you have been baptized. I'm not asking you if you have joined a church. I'm not, I'm not asking you a bunch of religious questions. I'm asking you, have you received Christ's love in your heart? Have you received it? Has there ever been a moment in your life when you truly understood that Jesus wasn't just a good man that did a lot of good things, but that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't know Christ, if you truly don't know Christ, you, you've got just enough of religion or just enough of the church to be frustrated and confused. Anybody ever been there? It's not God's plan for you to wonder if you're saved or wonder if you're a Christian or wonder if you're going to heaven or, or to wonder why he really died. God loved the world. And the world represents people. People represent you and I tonight. God loved us. He loved us so much that he sent his son to redeem us and to save us, to forgive us of our sins. And so I wouldn't be much of a preacher tonight if I didn't call you to action 
and call you to a decision and say to you, fill his love, fill his mercy and his grace and throw yourself, throw yourself on his mercy and his death on the cross. Lost sinner, please be saved tonight. I promise you, if you are, you'll say too, this is a good Friday. To know that your sin has been lifted. The burden of your heart has been lifted. The songwriter wrote many years ago, Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? The only thing that matters tonight is whether or not we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. If you're a believer tonight, I would say to you that this moment is a time to remember a time to reflect what Jesus did for us on the cross. Man, I would say to you right now, search your heart. Search your heart. What sin is it in your life tonight that you're hanging on to? Maybe it's become a pet in your life. It's that one thing that Jesus died for on the cross. He took it in his body on the tree. He offers freely forgiveness He offers to set us free from the bondage that binds us up. And the scripture tells us that we must confess our sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Only our pride would keep us from confessing. So I would say to Christians in the room, tonight is a night of repentance, of of being refreshed and being renewed in your commitment to the Christ of Calvary. And as as you examine your heart and you think about the, the sin, the crud that's in your heart and your life, at the same time, you must feel the depth of his love and the measure of his grace as he dies on the cross for you. So we approach the table I was listening to a pastor this week and I thought it was such a great thought. I don't want to commit plagiarism and claim that it's mine. But he was talking about coming to the Lord's table and he said, in your mind, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 3 at that moment in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve had a choice to make and Eve took of the fruit. What did she say to her husband, Adam, take and eat? Take and eat. Those words would not be uttered again until the Last Supper in the upper room where Jesus is gathered around the table. And I want you to think about the history of mankind. I want you to think about all the years that passed from the Garden of Eden when man disobeyed God all the way to the table in Jerusalem where Jesus is about to say, take and eat, I want you to think for just a minute about the mess that the first take and eat created. The world was perfect. Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden, a perfect place. 
Mankind wasn't cursed. Creation wasn't cursed. And Eve said, take and eat. And there was only one person and one event that could take care of that mess. And that was Jesus when he looked at his disciples around the table and he said, I want you to take and eat. I want you to take the bread. That's going to represent my body. I want you to take the, the juice, the wine, that is going to represent my blood. And through my blood, there is going to be a new covenant. And through that new covenant, the sin of the world would be forgiven and wiped away. That is the gospel. We are sinners. We are broken. We are cursed. You don't believe it? Read Luke chapter 12 in your Bible. I read it this morning. Man is cursed to a place called hell. Let me just go ahead and say it separated from God for all eternity. And friends, there's not a hell number one and a hell number two and a hell number three. There's a hell that is a burning lake of fire that everyone who rejects Christ will spend all eternity there. And what makes Good Friday good <laughs> is that you don't have to go there. You don't have to. If you will acknowledge that you're a sinner. If you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and confess your sin, you too can be born again by God's grace. You can know that heaven is your home. Man, that's good news. And that's what makes Good Friday good. Could we pray together? I came to the service tonight with this burden, praying earnestly that anyone who would be blinded by religion, blinded by Satan, to not fully understand, please hear my passion tonight, to not fully understand that you have taken and you have eaten. You are a sinner. We're all sinners. Until we truly are born again by His grace. My Easter sermon Sunday, I'm going to talk a little bit about being born again. Oh, my desire tonight so deeply for you is to know that you know that you know that you know that you know Jesus. That you're not hoping so, you're not thinking so. But you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, not because you're sinless, not because you've never messed up, because your eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit of God and you see the cross and you see your sin and you see your need for Jesus. And you, the scripture says, call on the name of the Lord 
and you shall be saved. So right now we're going to have just a moment of reflection. I'm going to stand down at the front while the singers are singing and do things a little different tonight. If there's anybody in this room that's not sure that you're a Christian, you'd like for somebody to pray with you, I'm going to stand right here in the center aisle. There would be no need at all for you to be ashamed or to be bashful. Because every Christian in this room is praying for you right now that you would know Christ. Maybe you're a Christian here tonight and there's just some things in your life, your passion for Jesus and what Jesus did for you on the cross, it's not as red hot as it's been in the past. And you've just been reminded tonight and you just want to say, thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me on the cross. We normally invite people to go to, the, to our encouragers in the back and I'm going to change that up just for tonight. And I'm going to invite you to come forward. Maybe you want to just come and kneel and you want to pray and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me on the cross. Christians, it's time to repent and confess our sins and prepare our heart for communion. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you want somebody to pray with you, why don't you just walk down here and take me by the hand and I'll get somebody to pray with you, counsel you, encourage you, whatever you need. But I've been praying that tonight there would be eternal lasting fruit in this service this weekend. That only comes from the move of the Spirit of God. So right now, this is our time of decision and reflection and invitation. The invitation is open. If you need prayer,